everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Wrestling with the Future. Tonight, a very special Reps Roundtable. Let me introduce you to my co-host, Dan, the man, Sebastiano. How you doing, Dan? I'm good, Angelo. How are you? I'm wonderful, brother. What's happening? What's shaking down there? Oh, you know, trying to uh, enjoy what I can. The uh, weather and empty arena match is getting a little old. Oh, I'm telling you, they passed old months ago, brother. <laughs> a month ago, anyway. Mike, the movie maker, Messier, joins us as a regular member of the family. Hey, do Mike? I'm good, Angelo. Good to be here, buddy. What's uh, what's new in the world of MikeMessier.com? By the way, if your name was a website, it would be <laughs> MikeMessier.com. That's right, Angelo. Uh, things are good for me. Appreciate it, buddy. You know, uh, just during this downtime, I've been uh, really concentrating creatively on my screenplays and also on the Life Lessons with Mike Messier podcast. Uh, They're very popular, by the way, Mike. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear they that. They really are. And Mike does a, a video series on our uh, our channel called Life Lessons with Mike Messier, where uh, Mike draws from his vast experience, uh, both in and out of wrestling, in and out of the film business, and takes people on a journey uh, and hopefully makes their, their journey a bit easier, learning the lessons of his mistakes. That's right. Is that the gist of it? You got it. You know, and just just things like the last topic was a two-parter about moving. You know, I just moved from New England to Florida. And uh, just for anyone out there who might be considering a move, no matter where it's from or where it's to, I try to share some insights about how I did it without the use of U-Haul or just kind of did it on my own with some help from about three people. So yes. it's a good story, you know. He carried everything on his back from Rhode Island yeah. <laughs> I didn't have the young bucks and Kenny Omega to help me move. I had a, you know, yeah, I, right. I had a few people to help me, but a lot of it was just myself, to be honest with you. So it can be done. And last but not least, certainly not least, the guy I've known longest, Mike Armageddon Murphy. Earth. What happened, brother? Thanks for having me back. Always a pleasure to be here. Mike, thanks for dressing up for the show, by the way. Well, I'm still waiting on my shirt. It must have got lost in the mail. I guess the check got lost in the mail, too, brother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, anyway, so uh, what we're going to we'll, we'll, we'll get it. Uh, we'll get it to you. Don't worry about it. So here's what's going on tonight. I, uh, I wanted Mr. Murphy here tonight because we're going to start a new show. Right here on the Wrestling with the Future Network. The show is called Murphy's Law with Mike Armageddon Murphy. Mr. Murphy, surprise, yes, surprise, brother. Uh, yes, it is a bit of a surprise. Uh, I knew there was uh, some talk about it. I didn't know that you know everything had gone through on it. Yep, uh, sure has. Is actually the first I'm hearing. <laughs> yes, and yeah. you have a co-host, by the way. Oh, I do. Yes, he's sitting above you. His name is Mike Messier. Oh, I am the co-host. <laughs> yes, you are. All right. right. Well, this will be interesting, Mike. And the, well, the Mike swears. I'm doing, here's what we're doing. <laughs> we're revamping the refs roundtable with uh, Mike Kelleher. Okay. Uh, or I should say, I have to call him Baron Von Kelleher now. Yes, yes. Because he's got this working mustache that people, <laughs> it seems to be over with everybody, so... You can wax a Got surfboard to call him the Baron thing. now. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we're going to revamp that to include 
you know, more topical subject matter and not just, uh, you know, show reviews. Because that's that's getting old right now. Mm-hmm. Given the fact that, you know, as uh, as Mike Messier would say, we are in the empty arena era. And there's only so much you can do with it. Right. So we're going to revamp the Reps Roundtable. And I know that's a, a popular show. We know by the numbers and we know that people like it. So we're going to keep it, but I probably over the next two weeks, I'm going to revamp it to include more topical subject matter. Uh, and I think uh, I may actually have Dan Sebastiano co-host that with um, with Baron Von Kelleher. Or I call him Mike. Hey, he can't Angelo. Be to call him Mike, I got to call him the Baron now. He's like really into this Baron gimmick. Yeah, well, <laughs> go ahead, Dan. I was saying... Uh, I guess fa- uh, good facial hair is a requirement for being on that show now. <laughs> exactly. Well, he had some serious facial hair. He, he had a beard that made Bruiser Brody envious. <laughs> well, yeah, now he's, now he's got the, he's got the mustache, the, the one you can only grow after you kidnap a girl and throw her on some train tracks. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, gentlemen, let's talk. Let's talk about that. Honestly, we're pissed off. What happened, Mike? I said when when Keller had his beard, the guys from Duck Dynasty were pissed off. I know, right? Yeah, he he rivaled them for sure. He looks so different without his beard. Okay, so what's going on in the world of wrestling? Murph, bring me up to speed. Uh, your guess is as good as mine because every week uh, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what. As far as I call, what plate of garbage they're going to throw out there. Pretty much. Uh, My opinion of professional wrestling today is lacking one thing. Tell me. Heart. It's lacking heart. It has no heart. It has no soul. It has no feeling. It's, from what I see, and I'm going to be totally honest. I'll watch the first 10, 15 minutes of it. That's usually all I can stomach. And then I'll I'll turn on the Kardashians or something. That's how oh, bad no. it is. <laughs> uh, but from what I see, I, I see a bunch of guys doing a bunch of high-flying crap, uh, making faces, running around, and nobody's selling anything. It's hard to sell, Mike, when there are no people to sell to. Yeah, but you That's know what? That's problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but if a lot of guys, where a lot of guys start out in the Indies, like myself, I spent my whole career in the Indies. I've done shows in front of two, three, four, five hundred people. I've done shows in front of ten people. You go out and you put forth the effort every time. And if you can do that for five people or five hundred, you can do it in a room where the only guys that are there are the janitors. Well, I mean, you you have to remember something. And Mike Messier, you'll appreciate this being a filmmaker and having done film and television. When you're on the set of a film, it's not like you're playing to no one. There are people around and there's a camera in your face. Right. So you're playing clearly to the camera. That translates in film. Why is it not translating 
in the genre of pro wrestling with a television camera? Well, I, um, that's a great question. I think it's because the talent, uh, we can take NXT and WWE first if we want. They've been, they've been trained to perform big. Someone that comes to mind is Nikki Cross, who's in the tag yeah. team with Alexa Bliss. And it's, it's almost comical to the point of enjoyable that Nikki Cross is kind of playing up her moves, trying to fire up to a crowd that's not there. But you have a lot of talents that are kind of mugging or sneering in the corner. Or they, they just haven't been coached uh, to tone it down or to focus on the camera. Yeah. I, I, I would personally make the, the suggestion that AEW is doing a bit better with this because at least they're putting actual wrestlers, whether, you know, Billy Gunn and his son are in one corner. And then you've got yeah. the little mm-hmm. guy, Marco Stunt, is sitting there and he's afraid of the, the big heels. And you've got yeah. um, Sean Spears betting on the matches. So I think my- AEW is, is being a bit more creative. Yeah, uh, and quite mm-hmm. frankly, I think they have a lot of help in that department because they have a wealth pool of inform- of knowledge and information there backstage that's clearly helping them out, and that's obvious by what's being seen. Mm-hmm. Dan, you're shaking your head in agreement. What is your thoughts on all of this? Well, I'm I completely agree. Mike nailed it. The what's killing a lot of today is that. The wrestlers, unfortunately, especially you can see it in the WWE style, is these these guys today, they're not trained to be wrestlers. They're trained to play characters. I think, it, to backtrack a little bit in history, I, one of the better interviews I've ever seen was a shoot interview with Mark Merrow a few years ago. And he was explaining when he was hired to the WWF that yeah. Vince McMahon didn't want Mark Merrow. Vince McMahon specifically wanted Johnny B. Bad. Yeah. And he, Mark Merrow, had he didn't know how to wrestle he had been from the day he was hired he was taught to play johnny b bad have the johnny yeah. b bad match have the johnny b bad moments yeah. and that's what you see a lot of like nikki cross she was taught to play the nikki cross character she knows she sure. doesn't know how to wrestle and you watch they can't adapt they can't change their style they play characters and that doesn't translate when the character doesn't fit what's trying to yeah. be broadcast dan you know what the sad part is what's that the sad part is it's glaringly obvious she's not even trying to hide the fact that she's playing a character. Exactly. And you see that with, uh, which is what makes it so frustrating. I know, Mike, I think you and I touched on this in one of the previous shows, is when you see flashes come through. Like uh, you were talking NXT. I think what they're doing with John uh, Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae right now. They're, they're kind of evil character they're playing. Evil that, husband and wife, yeah. Yes, exactly. And it's, it's, it's great. It's the best thing they've got right now. And you can see how they're adapting and they're playing the camera instead of the crowd. And, and when you get these little nuggets of good things that come out, you like the talent is there. It's just the direction isn't. Versus, as Angela mentioned in AEW, when you've got Jim Ross and you've got – Tully Blanchard in the back, and you've got all these minds that know how to adapt versus yeah. just your 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 Kevin Dunns and your, your people who who have lived their careers playing characters yeah. in the empty arenas. The empty arenas work when you wrestle; they don't work when you have it when you try and play a TV show. Well, yeah, they've got people like Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson, Dustin Rhodes, Cody. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my God, uh, Jake now Jake Roberts, right? Um, you know, 
Jim Ross. And Jim Ross has been around for 50 Un- years. Un- unrelated well, side note, Jake Roberts still one of the best promos in the business. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no uh, uh, question uh, about it. Go ahead, Mike. I want to touch on what Mike said. Um, you mentioned, you know, with AEW, you have guys like Tully Blanchard, Jake Roberts, Jim Ross. Um, you know, <clears throat> these are guys from back when, back when, you know, wrestling, and I hate to say this, when wrestling was wrestling. Thank you. When it was mm-hmm. Cape to it, when it was almost a secret society, if you will. Yeah. Uh, when you had exactly. to be able not only to wrestle, but you had to be able to talk. And that goes to one of the greatest talkers in the business, the late, great Dusty Rhodes. Absolutely. You could well, throw remember something. Say, hey, Dusty, in your, when you do your promo, I want you to throw something in there about a five-pound block of cheese. Right. And Dusty would yeah. get on there. And, and he could do it. In this country, eating a five-pound block of gum and cheese for dinner, Daddy. I mean, and he, would throw, he could throw it in there. He sure. could do it. And that's the thing, you know. There was a time that wrestlers had to be the t- the whole package. Mm-hmm. You had to be able to ha- you had to have the look, or or a an unusual look. And I'll give you examples of guys like that. You had to be able to talk, to work, to connect. The biggest thing to connect with an audience, and and last but not least, by any means, my biggest pet peeve, and you guys know it, the emotional investment. We and I have harped on this, you know, when you know, and Mikey, you know, you've you've been privy to some of them conversations with you know Jeff the ref and I. Yes. Um backstage with you enough times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jeff and I used to go back and forth with it. You know, the the emotional investment. Where is it's it's gone. There is none. Yep. Well, I, I, I get go ahead. I was gonna yeah, say I, I think Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dan. I think one of the things, too, is not just the emotional investment, but the little what's I guess the best word to describe it is the little hints of realism. I know that's that's maybe not the best real as a word. No, exactly. But you're exactly on it. Things don't get they, they don't make sense in the sense of realism. You know, you look at little things like I'm watching a hardcore match and he pulls a shopping cart full of kendo sticks out from under the ring like that it, my brain knows that doesn't make sense why is exactly. that there what does that yeah, have why? to do with anything and the the character motivations don't make sense there's no driving force uh behind some of the stories it's just there's nothing to connect with the audience it's cheer this guy boo yeah. this guy and and you don't some know old guy that you thing, remember. Though. dan here's the problem they don't know why they're cheering this guy and booing this guy Exactly. And that, my friend, is the lack of emotional investment. They're they're doing it out of routine, out of habit. They're doing it because they think they're supposed to. But they're uh, not doing it because they're emotionally invested in these characters. The problem is they're all they're all characters. Okay. Right. But wrestlers always were characters, but they were larger than life characters. That's the problem. Part of what I want to talk about tonight is the way wrestlers look. I just mentioned larger than life people. Let's talk about mm-hmm. some. 
superstar Billy Graham, Pedro Morales, uh, Hulk Hogan, Bruno, um, Ricky Steamboat to some extent, Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Those guys were larger than life. Mm -hmm. Even -hmm. though they were average-sized guys, most of them, you know, with the exception of Hulk and Superstar, their personas were huge. To, to use Mike Murphy's analogy, their their personality showed up to the building 20 minutes before they did. Yeah. Am I exactly. right, Mike? You're, you're exactly right. Um, again, you go back, you look at your Pedro Morales, your superstar Billy Graham's, your Hulk Hogan's, uh, and then you compare them with your guys like Dusty Rhodes, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard. All these got big men. Dusty Rhodes, let's be honest. Dusty Rhodes did not fit the picture of the professional wrestler that you see today. A lot of them back then did. They were built. They had a little cut to them. They were muscular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have six-pack abs, right. tabletop chest. You know, 36-inch arms, you know, they didn't have that back then. They had average, and which was yeah. what the, I felt the fans, because you had these average-sized guys, or big guys, this is what the fans were able to connect to. Right. Mikey, let me throw average. a name at you. I'm sorry? Mark, let me throw a name at you. All right. Because these, these two young kids may not appreciate it. Hey, now. All right. Bulldog Brower. Well, oh my God, Bulldog Brower, Kansas okay. City. <laughs> here's a, here's a guy, Bulldog Brower. Uh, didn't have the he had an average everyday look. Yeah, he was a, a man's man. Okay, yeah. that's what the people connected with. Exactly, see, that's and point, that's stop you right have. there. Stop right there. That's it. You just nailed where I was going with it. Mm-hmm. He had a look people could connect with. Why, Mike? Because he looked like them. Right. And see, that's and, and and it also goes back to what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, connecting with the people uh, and ca- compared to characters. I think the last, maybe not the last, but one of the last characters that the crowd got emotionally involved with Stone Cold Steve Austin. There you go. Supposed to be exactly. a power deal, but the crowd turned him face because why? Tell me one of us sitting here who didn't ever want to go up to his boss, flip him the bird and say, F exactly. you. Yep. Exactly. He, I, he was the I, working man's champion. Dragged in, oh. said F you, revolted against the system. Oh, man. No worries. And people could connect to that. You got guys out there now they can't connect to. Yeah. See, and that's that's the biggest thing is the characters that you could connect with, even back, you know, being a little younger than some of you more seasoned fans, the, the characters that, that were that looked the average man, your dusty roads, you know, even somebody <laughs> like a even somebody like a say uh early to mid eighties junkyard dog when he started getting a little thicker in the midsection you know you 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 were he he was the guy you would you would see at the bus stop but you knew and he was pitched like your average man whereas the characters today that look like us or that are are our size they're 
pitched as as these bigger characters and it doesn't work a great example is uh, he came with when he was going up through nxt not so much on raw but but alistair black yeah it was a wwf uh, excuse me wwe star he was pitched as this this you know massive big kicking superstar who just towered over he's 511 you know I, i can tell he's not a huge man, but you build, you, you, sure. you book him like he's this, you know, the next coming of the undertaker and it doesn't yeah, work. Exactly. I, my eyes and brain know that you're lying to me. You bring dusty yeah. Rhodes out. My eyes and brain know he looks like an average person. He, and that's sure. why I'm fearing that he, when he just beat Ric Flair, because now I, as a kid, I'm thinking, man, I could do this too. Remember you, something. Dusty Rhodes. Uh, hold on, Mike. Dusty Rhodes. Uh, from the beginning. Laid it out for everybody. And he connected with people right from Jump Street because what he said resonated to this level. Mm-hmm. Okay? Remember this. I'm just a common man. Yep, so, a common man. Two things. One, when he said, I had to laugh when he said, uh, 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 seasoned fans. <laughs> I think that was towards you and me, Angelo, the older yeah. fan. Uh, that's why. That's why Dan is my co-host because he's very diplomatic. Well, when Dusty said, and, and he even did it in a, in a uh, cut in a promo. He'll he'll look at you and say, "My belly is just a little bit bigger. My honey is just a little bit bigger." But they know I'm bad, and before exactly. they me. They hated me, and they know I'm bad. Because the other thing that, that resonated with... Well, here's the thing, though. The other thing that resonated Dusty with the people was one promo that he cut that is today legendary. Hard Times. It's the Hard, Hard Times promo. You nailed it, Mike. Even the young buck, Dan the Man Sebastiano, just a wee child in this business... <laughs> knows the hard times promo for 40 years and a gold watch exactly yep. exactly uh, you I, work I 40 s- years and they give you a slap on the ass on the gold watch and say <laughs> a computer just took your place daddy yeah exactly. I, I got i've been chomping at the bit angelo to, to <laughs> chomp away of, brother chomp away well there's a storyline in wwe specifically that's been going on for 23 years does does anyone and this storyline that's been going on for 23 years is why the ratings are poor and why there hasn't been, with the exception perhaps of CM Punk and Daniel Bryan, there hasn't been any new superstars really launched in the last yeah. 10 years. And I know where you're going with it. Go ahead. Go well, for the, it. the 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 storyline and you were talking about the greats like Hulk Hogan, Bruno San Martino, Dusty Rhodes. None of those guys were ever asked or invited to get on their hands and knees in the middle of the ring and kiss Vince McMahon's ass and join the Vince McMahon club. And even after the kiss, my ass club came and went, which was only around for a year or two. That was too uh, long. We've seen variations of that where the, whether it's Vince McMahon, John Laurinaitis, the power to the people, uh, people power, Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephanie McMahon, especially Triple I, H, and, and I knew exactly where you were going with it. It's the whole authoritarian thing. It's 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 right. It's the authority figures, and guess what, folks? Wrestling fans don't want to tune in and see the Vince McMahon and family show. 
that we're going to run down all the talent and all these wrestlers, whether yeah. I got into a debate last night about Mr. Woo Woo, uh, the, the wrestler from New Jersey, Mr. Woo Woo, you know it, that guy, oh, Zach Ryder, Zach Ryder, because sure. he was getting over organically through the internet, connecting with people in a different way. Yeah. And they gave him one day with the intercontinental title and they gave him two or three months with the tag team title seven or eight years later. Yeah, they they don't like, and I say they. I'll be very specific. Vince McMahon, uh, I guess Stephanie McMahon, Hunter, Triple H, all of them, all of the above. Mm-hmm. They don't like when talent connects with the fans directly. They want to yeah. manipulate and mastermind people's connection. And guess what? That's why the fans are tuning off, and they can say, and that's the difference between AEW and WWE. Because now we A- have a fresh start. AEW is allowing their talent to connect emotionally. Right, yeah. You got to be they careful, want though. people to connect emotionally because they know that fan base is their ticket sales when we when we finally get around to selling tickets again. <laughs> right. AEW has got to be careful, though, because the pendulum can swing too far the other direction in that when you have... When you have the the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and some of these guys that are not just your center talent, but also legitimate vice presidents and and executives within the company, yeah. you're you're bringing in people like a Jimmy Havoc or uh, th- that that awful awful match from what two weeks ago when Kenny Omega teamed with that oily guy whose name I intentionally forgot. Right. Um, that that you have you know these 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 gimmicks that you you talk about the indie show 50 60 people like the guy sold a couple hundred t-shirts out of the back of his car he's friends with Kenny Omega bam he's on primetime AEW while you yeah. have a a Cody Rhodes sitting in the background who now has to have a shorter match you know you you, yeah. you can't cater too much to certain fans but at the same time you can't ignore them and that's to go off what Mike was saying that's what's yeah. been killing the WWE for Really, I honestly think it started with the invasion angle. Uh, for me, anyway, when you, when you bring oh, in, oh, it started long before that. Well, Dan. I'm saying specifically because they, they they tried to catch lightning in a bottle with the 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 McMahon Austin feud. But you bring in yeah. W, you bring in the WCW talent. You have what could easily be the greatest storyline in wrestling history, and it becomes a Vince McMahon versus Shane McMahon storyline that lasts a, a year, and then nobody cares. Here's the, here's the biggest problem, and you will all agree with me. Because if you don't, I will kick all of your asses. <laughs> that goes for you too, Murph. Bring, bring it, old man. Bring uh, it. <laughs> I'll climb you like a palm tree, brother, and bust the coconut over your head. <laughs> here's, the, here's the biggest problem. And you'll understand it. You will all understand it. They don't want anyone, when I say they, I'm talking about WWE and Vince McMahon. They don't want any single wrestler being bigger than the company now Mm -hmm. they don't want another hulk hogan right they don't want another bruno because when people saw hulk hogan on television on the tonight show or on jimmy kimmel or fallon or any of those late night shows they didn't realize that hulk hogan wasn't there just representing hulk hogan he was representing wrestling, okay? They weren't satisfied with that. They wanted Hulk Hogan to represent the WWE. But people don't understand that mentality. They understand Hulk Hogan is a wrestler. They don't care who he wrestles for. 
because if you follow Hulk, you probably already know who he wrestled for. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So there's no need to go there. But for them to suppress guys from becoming bigger than the company, I think backfired, bit them on the ass to a level that they still have not yet recovered from. It got to the point where Vince McMahon became bitter that a a Stone Cold Steve Austin made him record numbers, but at the same time, WCW and New Japan and these other companies were benefiting because every people were just loving wrestling in general. It got yeah. to the point where Vince McMahon only wanted money for Vince McMahon, and in order to do that, you can't have anybody that brings attention to the wrestling business. You have to have people that only bring money to the WWE, which means, you, like you said, you can't have anybody bigger than your product. Dan, if you're a promoter, okay, put your okay. promoter. Oh, you're okay. Put your promoter hat on. You're wearing it now, okay? <laughs> Wouldn't you be happy as a promoter that Steve Austin and Mike Tyson are getting mainstream news coverage? Wouldn't you be happy about that? Yep, absolutely. You realize that that was the last Austin may very well have been. Maybe Cena. But one of those two guys may very well have been the last big over guy in mainstream. Perhaps, maybe, well, I I won't even include The Rock in that because The Rock is in his own category. There's nobody like The Rock. Well, and that's the thing. When you have a stone cold at his prime some of the smaller companies you guys i mean you know you all have been worked in the indie scene when when raw and and nitro were doing seven six seven eight ratings i mean what the record i think for raw was 8.3 if i remember correctly yeah guess what was also selling a boatload more tickets the local indie shows you slap the name wrestling on a poster there's five six hundred people showing up because of how popular stone cold steve austin is they're not there to see austin they're there to see wrestling because wrestling is huge yeah at some point they lost track of that it became about the product and not about the the entity that is wrestling exactly and by the way that was under vince russo and i i, I want to piggyback off of a couple what you both said <clears throat> vince and and now what i'm about to say you know is it true is it not true i don't know i wasn't fucking there okay but vince did not want one wrestler to become bigger than the company why because it goes back to two wrestlers, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, title versus title. Let's face it, the Ultimate Warrior had, what, three moves. By the time he got down, from what I hear, by the time he got down to the ring and did his running around and shaking the ropes and crap, he was already blown up. Yeah. But the night of WrestleMania, where he wrestled Hulk Hogan, like I said, I don't know if this story is true or not, but he held up Vince McMahon and he said, no, I'm not going on unless you pay me this amount. That was SummerSlam 91 is the story. Yeah. I mm-hmm. thought it was WrestleMania. No, and SummerSlam and it's a true story. Yeah. Okay. And he held him up. That right there to me is where the beginning of Vince not wanting a wrestler being bigger than the company 
Actually, that's where the seed was planted. No, I, I I can see the arguments for it, but I I don't I won't give it any credibility. And I will there's say. a couple of reasons I won't give it credibility. First of all, the Ultimate Warrior wasn't that important in the in the grand picture of it all. That's number one, because they could have had for 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 anybody's sake, they could have had Honky Tonk Man. They could have had Steve Lombardi for crying out loud. Oof. Wrestle Hulk Hogan. Man. And it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> because, remember something. Remember, who's the draw? Let me ask you all a question. Please do. Who was the draw at WrestleMania 3? Hogan and Andre. Thank you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Who was the draw at every WrestleMania? Hogan. I mean- yeah, I was going to say main event, technically main evented the first eight of them. Exactly. Okay. Then after that, you had The Undertaker with the street. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. What, what do they all have in common? They all left the company on top. Mm-hmm. They all left the company when they chose to leave. Mike Messier, jump in. Well, it's it's you guys are hitting so many bullet points with me right now. I mean, just talk about the Ultimate Warrior's legacy. I got to defend the guy because I met him in 2012, and you know, two years before he passed away, less than two years, he was cool to me. And in the summer of 2011, the Ultimate Warrior was doing a lot of motivational videos from his gym for free on YouTube, and I was watching these things and was encouraging me with my own life to make some dietary changes and get into yoga and go for walks. And the ultimate warrior uh, was actually a pretty smart guy. I don't think that he. Well, that, enjoyed... that's not in debate, Mike. That that's, that's well, not in question. Well, well uh, let, me, let me say this. I, I made a, I made a, a post uh, on, on good old Facebook last night in the old school wrestlers, Facebook group, which is a very benign, usually a, a group that people just kind of reminisce and get along with. And yeah. I made a post that said, um, whether you want to admit it or not, the Ultimate Warrior wrestled in the three best matches at WrestleMania's five, six, and seven. And th- to me, that's true. Versus Rick Rude, Hulk Hogan at six, and Macho Man at seven. So for all the crap that people give this guy, whether he's got three moves or four moves, or whether he broke Bruce Pritchard's jaw or whatever, for for somehow or another. This guy wrestled in the three most exciting matches in three WrestleManias in a row. And then at WrestleMania 8, he got the biggest pop of the night with the run-in at the end. So for for as much as the self-destruction narrative that's been propagated by the WWE on this guy, somehow he made an impression that most people will never make an impression in the world that he made the impression of. Yeah, but what did he do? It was simple. What What he did was simple. That's fine, but he was he was in an era, Angelo. You remember the late '80s, early '90s were the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Cobra, Rocky Three, yeah. Rocky Four. He I, I was get of it, the what, era. He was of the era of the Muscle Man and of, of the War Paint. I, I get it, but what did he do? That was my question. Here's what he did. I'll answer my own question. Okay, I'm not sure what you're asking. He got himself over. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's, That's it. That's it. He if I can himself over jump in for a second to go Please. off of, of the point that was made earlier is I think that what you were talking about with Ultimate Warrior at SummerSlam, um, I don't think that was the beginning of 
of the the shift but if you notice that was the beginning of the the wwe owning their talent nowadays right. you, you get exactly, all these wrestlers Dan. that come and go and the, and when they go to the wwe they change their name you know zach Ryder. He's not going to get to use the name Zack Ryder. You, you you get some of these guys that leave. I mean, uh, you mentioned Sean Spears earlier. He had to yeah. switch his names. You know, back back in before the Ultimate Warrior took the name with him, and there was a lawsuit about that. Took the name yeah. Warrior with him. You know, you you came and went the territories, and you were you were your person. Now, yeah. you know, a a you look at some of the main draws on the card. Someone like a like a Seth Rollins or someone like a Roman Reigns, if they were to leave the company, Seth Rollins isn't leaving the company. Tyler Black is leaving the company. You know, right. uh, G- uh, G- what, um, John uh, John Annoy is uh, uh, is leaving the company. You know, yeah. some of these Vince McMahon shifted to owning his talent, literally owning the name and the character over. <laughs> well, and that, I think that, that was the first important yeah. step Dan, in the shift that, problem. That, Dan, that that's part of the issue. Uh, part of the issue is understand this. Let me let me backtrack myself a minute. Understand something. Vince McMahon takes great pride, and he he genuinely does. He takes great pride in creating characters. Okay. Mm-hmm. Notice what I said. Not wrestlers. Doesn't take pride in creating wrestlers. Right. It takes pride in creating right. characters. There's one reason and one reason only that he does this. It's for monetary and marketing purposes only. Right. Understand that Roman Reigns, the name, will sell stuff. Joe Anawahi will not. Right. Okay. Tyler Black will not, but Seth Rollins will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, now, now, doesn't this go to the from back in the '90s when they tried to replace Razor Ramon and Diesel because Vince McMahon oh. was convinced it was the characters that, that were was, over that was, and not no, all in let, that. let me let me give you the heads up on that one. That was an up your ass <laughs> to Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Okay, that was. Oh, yeah, you left? Well, we're going to fuck you, okay? And they they specifically did that to show them, we own you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, no, you don't. You own Razor Ramon and Diesel, but you don't own us. Right. And they went to WCW as Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. And what did they do, Dan? They got themselves over. Right. That's what it's all about. Well, if you get yourself over, hold on a second, Mike. Mikey, hold on, because I'm gonna I'm gonna have you chime in in just a second, Murph. All right. They got themselves over. How did they do that? How simple? How they did it? They did it by being themselves. The point is, you don't need a character to get yourself over. Mike Murphy got over as Armageddon. But he also got over as Max Payne. Well, isn't that the old adage in wrestling that the best characters are just you turned up to 11? Yeah. <laughs> Talk about it, Murph. Um, well, let me correct you. It was Michael Payne, not Max. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't get me sued. <laughs> well, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm sorry because there is a wrestler named Max Payne. Sorry, man. man. Mountain Rock. And I know him, so sorry. <laughs> he lives in Orange, Utah, and I actually called him and talked to him about buying that character. Unfortunately, he had just written a book, and he wasn't in the position to sell just yet. No, get getting yourself over. And I, I've told guys in the indies that were just starting out and coming up, and they're trying on different outfits and different attitudes. Like, oh, well, what do you think I should do? Well, I've always found that your character or your persona should be part of who you are. Exactly. Now, when I say that, I mean, there, there were two, there's two people. There's Mike Murphy. And then when I was at the arena, when I walked into that locker room and I started putting on my gear, well, Mike Murphy went into the gear bag, Armageddon came out. Exactly. Okay. It's great. It's a great business if you got split personalities. <laughs> it really is. Uh, but what I would do is, I, I mean, when I first That's started you were out, good at it. <laughs> when I first started out, I had, at one point, I had bleach blonde hair, I had black hair, I had red hair, I had, you know, I had camo-style pants, I had work boots, I had, and finally, a friend of mine, I was I was sitting back having a couple beers with him one night, Yeah, and he says, yeah, we had just come back from, we were out riding all day, Right. and he says, you know, one thing I don't see too often, I said, what's that? He says, I don't see anybody in the biker image in wrestling. He says, even yeah. in the Indian circuit. Oh, you got to tell Dan I, that I, story. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if Dan or Mike Messier heard that story. Tell them that story you told me. Which one? About one Taker? Right now? About the, the, the one you're telling right now about the biker and Taker. Go ahead, listen to this one. Oh, okay. So <laughs> You're anyway, going to love this, Dan. I said to my buddy, I'm like, well, you know what? Damn, he's right. So what did I do? I went out. I got some black tights. I took them to the airbrusher. I had, you know, some blue and white flames put on them. I went out and I got some wrestling boots, a bunch of Harlem T-shirts, which I didn't really have to look hard for because I had a whole shitload of them in my drawer. And, you know, I got the long black leather coat, the skull bandana, which I would wear the Ray-Bans out with. I had the skull cap on, and there was Armageddon. Okay, a lot of people said, "Oh, it's a well, you were a poor man's Undertaker." Maybe so. So anyway, I got that gimmick. You know, I got the black leather chaps on, and, I, and it was working. It, it was getting over. And one night, I'm sitting back, I'm watching Raw. And uh, they had like Triple H in the ring, and they were beating on The Rock and Shane McMahon and Vince McMahon and the, the whole you know, DX and Corporation and all this shit. And then out of nowhere, you see these flashes on the Titantron behind them. <laughs> you know, he's here, he's back, and all of a sudden you see this one headlight in the center, and who comes riding down? Long black coat. Headband or you know, skull cap headband, biker looking at it, the Undertaker. And I'm like, I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> son of a bitch, he stole my gimmick. <laughs> like, hey, man, 
yeah, the Undertaker. Oh, hey, Murphy's doing that. Well, I gotta steal that gimmick. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm in the Undertaker's world, right? You know, I, I'm a second thought to him. But I'm sitting there, and I'm like, son of a bitch. And now it's like, all right, well, do I have to now keep, you know, change my gimmick again, or do I say, fuck it, I'm gonna stick with it. I'll just tweak it a little more here, turn it a little more there. Like you said, turn it up to 11. Exactly. You know, and that, that's what I did. But I also looked at it, I was a heel. I was yeah. a bad guy. Best thing about being a heel, all you got to do is be an asshole. I've been one of them most of my life. At least this way I was getting paid to do it. Exactly. Okay. I had no problem looking at the crowd going, shut up, you're all trash. You know, you're this, you're that. A couple times at arenas, I took it a little too far, and security had to walk me and my wife out to her car. But, <laughs> yeah. but see, that's the thing. A lot of these guys I see, they're wearing these outfits that look like fucking spacemen. You know, they look like they're wearing yeah. spacesuits, shit like that. It's like, what happened to the, I mean, back in the day, the Andersons. What color tights did they wear? Black. What color trunks? Mm-hmm. Red. Exactly. Dusty Rose. Black trunks. Yep. Chief J. Strongbow. Black trunks with the Indian thing around it. Okay. Exactly. They made their gimmicks part of who they were. Exactly right. You don't see that nowadays. Here's now, the one thing that bothers me. Vince says they are. Mike Messier, here's the one thing that bothers me. Yes. Guys that come out and wrestle in t-shirts. Okay. I have a problem with this. Okay. And, and talk to me. What 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 is what is the thing with the t-shirts? Why does everybody wrestle in a shirt now? Well, I th- I remember that becoming a thing in the kind of 97, 98, you know, Nitro Raw Monday Night Wars and I would probably guess and it's just a guess there's two major reasons why guys wear t-shirts when they wrestle. Either it's one, because they are wearing their own T-shirt and they want to sell it. So if they're wearing the T-shirt during the match, it's so that the fan watching at home wants to connect with the wrestlers and say, hey, if this wrestler's wearing his T-shirt, I want to wear that T-shirt. So yeah. they're, they're, so that's an advertisement, in a sense. The other reason, it goes back to uh, the, the best example is Ric Flair at the last Nitro, March 2001. He was not in good shape. So mm-hmm. in order to cover his his condition uh of not being in good shape he asked if he could wear the shirt and the wwe or wwf at the time said yeah rick you can wear the shirt we just want you to wrestle because he he felt self-conscious about his physique uh you remember for about a year the rock when he was feuding with mankind i think in 99 early 99 the rock was wearing a t-shirt and a like kind of a uh sporty gym pants outfit and yeah during all those classic matches with Foley, the word on the street was that The Rock had chest uh, implants or chest reduction, or he yeah, he I can I can dispel like that. that. I know I know the truth behind that. You can share it if you like. It's up to the, you. The truth the truth behind that was he was getting a full body Samoan tattoo. Okay, so that's it, where that came from. It would look and odd tat- if it came in the increments. Yeah, yeah, and and it was it was being it was being done, you know. As you said, in increments, right. and uh, he didn't want to unveil it until it was 
you, if you look at him now, yeah, even when he does a movie, right, they have to you know airbrush over it, mm-hmm. yeah, because you know as in certain in certain films that he does, he started uh, off with the Brahma bull tattoo on the bicep, and then yeah. the next thing you know, he had the whole chest. And ten years later, the Brahma bull original tattoo was kind of flourished. Yeah. I- I think, Angelo, I I think, too, it goes to what we were talking about with the lack of character and creativity is you get you you, you might get one character uh, who, you know, wears the jeans and the and the 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 wife beater and he gets over. And so now everybody, be it be it the when Dean Ambrose did the lunatic fringe character or uh, I hate to use this example because it's not quite in the same league, but. Uh, if you remember the Jimmy Wang Yang character, same thing. Where sure. he was the, Asian, the Asian cowboy. He came out in the jeans and, and the tank top. You know, anybody yeah, that went over who, like a fart in church. <laughs> anybody, anybody who is going to play a specific trope, that's what you're going to wear. You're going to wear jeans and a tank top. If you're going to do this character, you're going to. I mean, you're going to wear your your jeans and a t-shirt. You're going to wear your yeah. track pants and a, and your shirt. You're going to wear. I mean, I've granted, like John Cena, he wrestled in the in the jean shorts for all those years, you know. But that was part of the gimmick. But it it, it gets it sh- starts to show a lack of originality. If you're going to play this character, everybody yeah. who is fitting in this mold, no matter where on the spectrum you fit. That's your wrestling gear, jeans and a t-shirt. You're gonna wear shorts. You're gonna wear a whatever, right. uh, tank top. You're gonna wear. The, it, it's it's the the gimmick itself becomes stale just because of how many people start doing it. Let me remind everybody that hold on, Murph, because I'll get to you in a second. Because I'm I'm gonna go. I'm going I'm going somewhere with this, and I want you to chime in in a minute. Let me remind everybody. You know, talk about the we mentioned the young bucks a couple times. I need to remind everybody because wrestling fans have short memories. The young bucks used to come out wrestling in shirts. And as Mikey said, it was a way of marketing who they were and marketing their merch. Mm-hmm. Now you see them wrestle without shirts. Neither one of these guys have tremendous bodies, but as an homage to old school, because remember who's running it. It's Dustin. It's Cody, Arn, Tully, you know, Jake, uh, Billy Gunn. These guys are all old school. When men showed their chest in the ring. Murph, I mentioned to you Bulldog Brower earlier. Remember him? He was built like a fire plug. Right. He was an average looking guy Mm -hmm. with a big belly and a barrel chest. He was maybe 5'10", if he was that tall. He wasn't a big guy. He looked like an average guy. But yeah. he could beat the shit out of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, now, I want to touch on the T-shirt thing, too, because I, myself, and Angelo, you and I, backstage shows, went round and round about it <laughs> because I would wear a T-shirt in the ring. Yeah. Why? Well, why? Because you look like shit. No, I'm sorry. You want to? I, I didn't hear. That. You want to suck my what? Oh, stay <laughs> down. Anyway, hey, Pat Patterson ain't here. All right. Anyway, that's, oh, that's you're, old. You're toast, Nobody one. I'm Irish as the day is long, so I'm fish belly white. All right. If He's I take off my 
is pale walk and trend. I walk out into the sunlight. I'm surprised I don't burst into flames. Okay, so one, nobody wanted to see this without, you know, nobody wants to see this without a shirt on it. But I made it work for me. If yeah. I'm going to wear a shirt in a ring, I'm going to make it work, work for me. I would have sayings airbrushed on the shirt. Like one, I had one, it was a black t-shirt, and in bright, hot pink lettering, it says, I put the fun in funeral. Okay. <laughs> I put the fun in funeral. I would have written on the back of one shirt, I'm what the dark is afraid of. Because you know how little kids are, oh, I'm afraid of the dark? Well, I'm what the dark is afraid of. Okay, just shit like that. If you're going to wear it in the ring, if you're not sponsoring your own product, make it right. work for you. And you can do that. And, but, and the other thing that worked for you was just a simple black cutoff T-shirt with the anarchy symbol on it, with the big right. A. And just mm -hmm. something as simple as that. Because everyone knows what that means. Right. It means I'm against the grain. Yeah. And that described the Armageddon character perfectly. Mike Messier. Well, let I me just bring you into this fold here. Please talk do. to me. Well, <laughs> I, I'm just thinking, Angelo, that I, I mean, you talk about the guys wearing the t shirts, and I really remember that coming into being in, like I said, the mid 90s, late 90s. And I think all wrestling fans, or many of us wrestling fans, we all kind of hold on to certain golden moments for ourselves. For you, you might be thinking of Jack Briscoe versus Dory Funk Jr. wrestling 60 minutes, 90 minutes. And they both wore, you know, Dory in blue and Jack in red, just regular boots and no knee pads and just going right. at it. For me, uh, I might remember, you know, something, you know, uh, the wild Samoans and their long black pants against the strongbows with the with the feathers. So we, sure. we all we all kind of idolize and put on a pedestal what we like when 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 we're watching. AEW or WWE or NXT or Impact or anything else right now, for me, I always try to look at it as, is this wrestling appealing to the 12-year-old Mike Messier out there? Not me myself now, but if there was a 12-year-old, thank you, yeah, if there was a kid out there that was like me, is he yeah. going to watch the Young Bucks and is he maybe more forgiving that these guys are not big, strong British Bulldogs or Steiners or Road Warriors? Is, right. is that kid more associated with them because they do this cool YouTube show? Is, yeah. is are these see the my my point is I don't expect to be the number one target audience anymore. I'm out, I'm out aged. I'm yeah. I'm older than mm -hmm. the fan should be. The fan should be a 12, 14, 15 year old Mike Messier, a nine-year-old right. Mike Messier, and Angelo and Mike and Mike, and you fans. let me let you tie into that right there because you just prompted a question from me and i'll start with you mikey and then I'll, I'll go around the table what happened to suspension of disbelief well here's where i think it died angelo talk to me about that 12 year old kid well that this is where the 12 year old kid this is where it got slaughtered for me and we didn't even realize it because because the the, the wrestlers involved are so well respected and popular that they got a pass but I can pinpoint a match in a moment where kayfabe was buried beyond belief and the fans did nothing about it. And I'm going to tell you what it was. January 1994, the Royal Rumble, 
The Undertaker is challenging Yokozuna for the WWF singles title. Yeah. And a bunch of uh, 10 bad guys come in, Crush and all these different guys, whoever it was, IRS. They come in, they beat up The Undertaker, they put him in a casket, and then they put this, um, mon- not a montage, but a pre-taped death ritualistic video of, of The Undertaker ascending to the heavens in Providence, Rhode Island. And they have a, a I think it was Marty Jannetty was actually in the suit from what I heard, but he's he's in The Undertaker's suit ascending to the top of the Providence Civic Center as if that's the gateway to heaven. And I've been in the Providence Civic Center and it's not the gateway to heaven. So my, <laughs> my point is, at the time, whether it was the smart marks of Dave Meltzer or Pro Wrestling Illustrated or yeah. whatever it was going on, it kind of got a pass because it was well-produced. Uh, everyone loved The Undertaker by that point. People respected Yoko. But if you really were saying in this canon of fairy tale mythos, myth of pro wrestling, does that make any sense uh, that a guy would ascend? Of course not. Well, and that's where I think we jumped the shark. That's my and, opinion. And, and I want you to I want you to hold that thought because I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to come back to it. But I want to start with you right now. Again, again, go around the table. So go ahead, Dan. Pick up where Mike, you left off and uh, tell me what. Well, Where did the suspension if, of disbelief go? If I can can continue that feud, do you remember uh, the when the Undertaker was going to bring in an enforcer to keep the villains away, and he brought yes. in Chuck Norris? <laughs> yeah, and even right. as a yeah. kid, I thought it was the silliest thing seeing lone Chuck Norris just flexing, doing a <laughs> half a kick, and here's King Kong Bundy and IRS and all the you know, the Kama Mustafa and all these giant men that are terrified. <laughs> there was a, there was a moment of silly to it, but here's what's me, silly about it, Dan. Here's what's silly about it. Look at Chuck Norris. And look at the size of the fucking Undertaker. Yeah. Okay. Does he really need an enforcer? No, but it, that was the, that was continuing that's, his that's story. Exactly right. But I know where you're going with it. Okay. I, I think for me personally, and it goes back to I'm not trying to blame one person, but, mm-hmm. but it goes back to uh, it 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 happened on the WWF and it and it continued through WCW was and it was something that Vince Russo was really big about was the moment for me when wrestling really shifted was when they embraced the fact that K, they 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 embraced the fact that kayfabe was dead Vince Russo loved to write scripts where he thought it was a better moment if the audience was in on the fact that what they were watching was scripted or what they were watching was fake and the announcers and, yeah. talked like it and you started hearing them use words like over and they started using, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to bury you. Yeah. And let's, Dan, let's you and I talk about that. Let's, okay. let's you and I talk about that. Cause you're my, my new co-host. Now you're my new permanent co-host to, to introduce everybody. Once again, Dan, the man, Sebastiano. Yes. Um, so, uh, let's you and I have a, um, a little heart to heart chat, a chat over here. Okay. Okay. Was it, in retrospect, you being the younger guy now, me being the old fart. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, was it a good thing to bring them to let them in behind the curtain? Or were we better off, you know, with the quote good guy versus bad guy? And they don't know the terminology. Was it really Vince or was it well, people I- like Dave Meltzer? And Brian oh, Alvarez. My my 
my opinion of Dave Meltzer is very low, but that's a story for another day. My, no, uh, it isn't. Tell me now. <laughs> he, 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 I have issues with the clear style of match that he favors with the anonymous source that is very obvious, just speculation, um, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Which, again, and it goes to what we were talking about, because Vince Russo started in journalism, and he was a damn good journalist, and yeah. he, he did what he needed to do, whereas with Meltzer, it's there's times when it's like you you wouldn't you wouldn't get a D in a journalism class with some of the stuff he writes nowadays versus being the centerpiece. But again, I digress. My to, to answer your question, I think it was a bad thing because re- there was always a level of suspension of disbelief. You know, um, even going back to the to the hokey days of some of the characters, and when the Undertaker first came out, his power came from the urn, and you had you know. Uh, some of the the silliness with the the, the as much as I love watching the ter- some of the territories the AWA had some of the weakest most blind referees even me as a kid was yelling at my TV how yeah. are you not seeing this this beating on the side of the ring right now mm-hmm. um, but I think when you start to tell the audience what you're seeing is fake what you're seeing is scripted you know yeah. um, cutting having having matches it, and this was textbook WCW towards the end where you part of the match was a wrestler just says I'm done and walks out of the ring. And it's like, Oh, and then the announcers start talking like, Oh, is this part of the script or is he? No, that's not the point. You can't suspend disbelief when you're constantly told every minute of the show, what you're watching isn't real. Dan, let me ask you a question. Stop right there. Cause you said something major, whether you know it or not. Is it the announcer's job or duty to even mention the word script? No, I think if you look through the announcing teams going back as far as, as the territory days of, you know, some of your, your Gorilla Monsoons and your Bobby Heenan's and some of the some of the later talents, even even Jim Ross, uh, uh, Tony Schiavone, who came in a little later, um, you know, uh, some of some of those names where, where they. They worked because they announced what they were watching like it was a real sport. They sounded like football announcers and hockey announcers. And they sounded like I I knew even as a kid, I get it's not a real competition, but Mm -hmm. I can watch it like it is. If the announcers are telling me that it is what I'm watching is a real competition. When I when I watch a match today and Michael Cole spends half the match talking about the WWE Network or some diva show or in, you know, like I said, in WCW, Mark Madden, who's the worst wrestling announcer in history, fight me over <laughs> it. Um, you know, when, when he when he drops words like script and over and he's talking about, you know, who's the, it, I can't ever suspend my disbelief. If you're telling me constantly, don't suspend your disbelief. What you're watching is scripted. That yeah. is where the audience turned off. And, and you guys remember some of y'all, like I said, I mentioned earlier, a little older than me when I was a kid and I would go to the local shows or I would watch wrestling on TV. Half the crowd was over 50. You know, yeah. th- there was a large group of, of an older generation. And those people who grew up watching wrestling in the sixties and the seventies and the eighties and people mm-hmm. in their, in their late thirties and older, they're not going to come back for yeah. the modern product. You know, I, they're not oh going to come God, back. Sure. Let me tell you uh, something. M- Murph. Yeah, there, I'm going to have you chime in on this subject. Um, the uh, the subject of uh, suspension of disbelief. Let me tell you, I'll give you a, a, a family story. My mother's father, my grandfather uh, that I never met on my mother's side, 
he was a huge wrestling fan. And she said to him one night, Dad, why are you watching that? That's all fake. Well, let me tell you something. You would have thought that the world just stood still that moment because he went off on her to the point where he took an axe. I'm not even making this up. Oh, wow. He took an axe and chopped up her piano. That's awesome. Okay. (laughs) Protecting the business at home. Right. Now, Murphy, (laughs) what happened to suspension of disbelief? And let me add a question to that. Do we need writers in wrestling? Uh, Well, the first one... uh, Messier is squirming in his right now. (laughs) I see you, Mikey. (laughs) The suspension of disbelief came from me. Uh, Believe it or not, the Hulk Hogan, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, uh, that era. Um, I mean... I, I, you gotta remember when I started watching it, first match I ever watched was Chief J Strongbow and Billy Whitewolf wrestling uh, the Executioners yeah. for the Worldwide Wrestling Federation titles. Okay. And the Executioners were managed by Classy Freddie Blassie. Yeah. And I watched, you know, the Pedro Moraleses, the Blackjack Mulligans, and so. But then we got up into the era of the the character and I, I just saw I mean I everything got so saturated for me with Hulk Hogan that it just turned me off to it but also about, also about that time came a company up from Georgia called, or North Carolina I think or from Charlotte yeah uh, NWA National yep. Wrestling Alliance yeah, Mid Atlantic, by the way. We'll, like we'll talk about Dusty. that in a little bit, too. Yeah, you had guys like Dusty Rhodes, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, uh, Dirty Dick Slater. Um, you know, and like, oh, hey, wait a minute. You know, these guys, like we've been saying all night, are average guys. They're not larger yeah. than life, they're not huge. They're not, you know, say your prayers and take your vitamins, brother. You know. <laughs> Damn, it hurts. Uh, <laughs> you know, and that's where the disbelief, you know, got involved. I, I actually preferred WCW over Monday Night Raw right yeah. up until Halloween Havoc. I think Sting was wrestling Flair and they had Robocop there. I mean, In Capital Combat 1990. Yes. Robocop I don't even care what it was. They had Robocop there for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, it was Capital Combat pay per view. Yeah, I don't I don't the writer, I don't know what he got for it. I hope it was five to ten. But <laughs> yeah. uh you know, I just I, I said I turned it off. I'm like, no, nope, I'm going back to Raw and I went to Raw and you know and I had stayed there. Um now Angelo, you would ask the question, I only got part of it. What okay. Writers in wrestling. Do we need writers? Uh, yes and no. Um, I feel that if you have a storyline, if a writer writes a storyline and it takes off, 
between two wrestlers or two factions, and it takes off. I believe the factions can pretty much, or the wrestlers can pretty much direct where it would go. Like they um, used to in the old school. Right. They can direct where it was going. I mean, but, of course, on the other hand, there's time. I I did a sh- I was wrestling a guy named Mike Koshi. Right. At the Venetian Social Club in Chestnut Hill. And they announced him, and he got a little pop. And he was going over that night. I was putting him over. No problem. But then they announced me, and the place erupted. Yeah. And, you know... Even Waikushi turned around and said, okay, what do we do about this? I, He can't put me over, not with a pop like that that he got. And I said, no, stick to the script. If I'm, I'm a very big believer of sticking to the script. Yeah. Um, stick to the script, put me over, we'll do a schmoz, or we'll do something, you know, we'll figure something out. But no, I, I, think, I think they need writers, but I think they need writers that have fresh ideas because all we're seeing anymore is a rehash of old shit. Okay. Here's the question. Then Mike Messier, I want to, I want you to take the pro opinion and Dan, I want you to take the anti opinion writers versus bookers. If we have bookers, do we need writers? Go for it. Okay, so I'll, I'll take the pro opinion that we do need writers. Is that it? Yeah. That okay. So so the reason why, for at least the WWE and probably for AEW to a lesser extent, they do need writers at this point simply because they have so much programming to keep more or less on track. Because the pro wrestling fans, the sports entertainment fans, the WWE fans. They'll call you on your shit if you screw up. And you, when they have a storyline that starts and then ends, mm-hmm. then the fans are happy to tweet about it. The fans are happy right. to call them out on it. So right. if, if for nothing else, because of smart fans like me or like all of us that would yeah. angrily get on there and type, 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 they need a writing team because they have, once again, two hours of SmackDown. Three hours of Raw, which is about an hour too much. They mm-hmm. have two hours of NXT. I don't even know if the, the, the UK NXT on the network, uh, the 205 Live comes and goes. I'm not sure the status yeah. of that. Point it, and all the stuff on the network. I mean, all the stuff on the network and, and all the, mon- uh, the pay-per-views and the bonus hour before the pay-per-view starts. There needs to be writers, if nothing else, just to keep this stuff going just for filling the time on the shows. Do I think they're doing a good job? No. But I think that the problem is, just like the talent, the writers have been squashed and compromised and castrated, whatever word you want to use, by the McMahons. Mm-hmm. So that's my take on it. Go ahead, Dan. Um, I Actually, I mean, that's a very good point. I think uh, you talk about writers. A good example of the writing staff today, when the WWE had their, what do they call it, Black Wednesday or whatever, when they had their cuts, there was a lot of names on there people didn't recognize because it was writers and backstage people. And one of the people that was cut was a writer, and she tweeted out that her proudest moment of the company was that she contributed to the Mandy Rose and Otis storyline. It's like, you 
I mean, why that was would there multiple moment? Well, what I mean is, is, is the point is that meant there were multiple people working on a basic good guy tries to save the girl from the bad guy who's lying to her storyline. Why do you need nine writers on that one script? You don't. You, you guys know you, you, you have your bookers. You go backstage. You know, you, you, you. <clears throat> I think the thing too, and if if I may, the the booker is more important than the writer because the booker guarantees you have better talent on your roster. It's very Thank simple. You. Writer, a writer Stop puts right there. Stop right there. Stop right there. That's what I was hoping to hear from somebody. A, a that's writer. What I was hoping to hear. Well, there you go. I'm glad so that's bookers, see, that's two, two pieces of pop. If you have a booker, example, Dusty Rhodes, example, Kevin Sullivan. Mm. If you have a booker like that, you don't need a writer. You just made the point. Well, and that's. And that's the thing, because the booker, like you, you have your two wrestlers and the booker will tell you and, and he's not going to line out the whole match. He's going to tell you, you know, you're going to go out there and and this goes to some of the, the old lingo we used to have. You know, he would say something, you know, you're going to you're going to wear him, uh, what, put a cape on him because he's Superman. You're going to you're going to powder out. You're going to get your heat and then he's going to come back and you're going to catch him with the finisher. He gives you just a few bullet points and your two wrestlers have to go out there and they have to actually wrestle a good match. You can't yep. have bad wrestlers if you're if a booker is running the show. You have to have talent. Yeah. Whereas with a writer, and I'm not trying to criticize the modern product in that sense, but when you have writers, you can write these obnoxious, lengthy scripts that can cover for the fact that yeah. your your wrestlers are having the same five, ten minute match every week. It's heavily, and they come out and their their promos are heavily scripted. Yeah. And there's no room for for improv. And you watch these moments where somebody, you know, breaks a nose, jams a finger, cuts themselves for whatever reason. Yeah. And all of a sudden, everything grinds to a halt because nobody in the ring knows how to improvise, or there's they're they're off script enough. Maybe the table breaks. Well, well, shoot, let's, we don't know what the ending of the match is. Very be. good point, Dan. That's a very good point. And, and Mike Murphy. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. No, no, because that's I'm going to pick up on that point. Mike Murphy. I ran a promotion for 24 years. You worked for me two or three times. Yep. Okay. What did I ever tell you to do? Go out and have fun. Exactly. I gave you a finish, and that was it. Yep. How you get there is up to you. Uh, what what happened to taking two guys saying, Murphy, you're going up against Wolfman tonight. Mm -hmm. Wolfman goes over. All right. Okay. How you and Wolfie get there? How how Wolfie and you get there is up to you. Walk me through the process. Basically, and it's funny you bring up Wolfie because uh, Wolfman and I, for like two three years, had an ongoing feud. I mean, we beat each other from pillar to post. But Uh, let me let me stop you there for a minute. There's the reason you had a feud. And people should know you and Wolfie were tag partners and he turned on you or you or you turned on him. No, the feud was before we were tag partners. Oh, OK. The feud was first. OK, go ahead. Right. I thought you got uh, the tag partners. In. Basically, how it would go is we'd be backstage. Uh, we'd have the we'd have the card written up and uh, I'd find out where we were at. 
if we were, you know, on the first half of the second half of the show. If we were on the second half of the show, we had more time to, you know, put something together, throw extra stuff in. And I'd say, okay, uh, how long do you want us to run? And, you know, we'd get uh, eight to ten minutes. Okay. Right. I'd go, Wolfie and I would sit down, and i look at him and say, look, you're over tonight. Give me a beginning, a middle, and an end. Exactly. Okay. We'll start Tell with the story. Tell a story. Yeah. Right. He'd say, okay, give me a collar and elbow. We'll start off with air. I'll take the heat. And uh, then we'll have the turnaround. He takes the heat. Then we go home. That's it. And, you know, he takes the heat for a while. We sell it. And then we go home. Yeah. And all the other stuff in between, we just call out to each other in the ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We would just. We would just call it to each other. Exactly. Like suplex me, body slam me, uh, throw me, throw me into the uh, tur- turnbuckle me and uh, hit me with a clothesline. You know. Yeah. So I'd go into the turnbuckles. I'd come out. He'd hit me with a clothesline. I'd sell the shit out. And of it. Did it yourself. Yeah. Oh, uh, the one thing about uh, that one lady in Otis. Why is it every time I see Otis on TV, I get the feeling there's a Buffalo Wild Wings missing a night manager? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mike yeah. Messier. <laughs> I, I, I think the, the thing with the storyline writer that was uh, let go, the, she was putting herself over. Guess what? She learned from the best, you know, like on her yeah. way out, because the way you described it, Angelo, of her contributing to the Otis and Mandy storyline. By the time that story got circulated, she was the mastermind behind the Otis and Mandy storyline. Right. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. in a way, she was smart because that storyline, for better or for worse, was pretty popular. Yeah. So now people associate her with its creation. So yeah. good for her that if she was getting fired... She wanted to see if she could get a sitcom deal out of it or a web series deal out of it. Yeah. You just nailed it right there. You said sitcom. That's something that that uh, you, you listen to some of the more seasoned backstage people from your Jim Rosses and your Jim Cornettes, and they'll tell you the story. You know, it used to be two or three people sitting in, a, in Vince McMahon's living room. Exactly. And now, there's, now there's a writer's room with 20, 30 people in it. Every single one of them is out for themselves. So everybody's trying to pitch any idea that they think will stick. Everybody sure. wants to be the main so they can leave the company and say, I wrote this angle, I wrote that angle. Yeah. And in order to get that many writers, because let's be honest, there's not a huge pool of professional wrestler writers. You're hiring people from sitcoms and from Fox. No, they're CBS. not. Yes. No, you're bringing- Dan, Dan, they're not. That's the problem. Well, what, I, what I'm saying is, no, is you- stop for Hold on a minute. Let me tell you where they're getting their writers from. Cause you're not aware. I want to smarten you up. They're getting their writers from college, right? The WWE has an internship program for lit students. There's a reason for that. Stephanie McMahon was a lit major. Mm-hmm. She has a, a soft spot in her heart for her college. Vince McMahon struck a deal with the college and agreed that WWE would be the place where these students could go to get college credit and be a professional writer 
for a quote television show. Right. Well, that's 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 the point. I, you know, you're right. I, mean, I spoke poorly. What I mean is, is these writers are coming in and they're not staying in the wrestling business because they don't want to. They want to oh. go write for Friends and they want to go write for the you know the Simpsons and they want to exactly. Be, so, so they're they're writing storylines to to put the, to put on a resume and not to entertain the fans. And you know what? If you come to me, if I'm the if I'm the executive vice president in charge of programming for ABC, right? And I see that the best thing you did, the, the thing that quote I'm most proudest of, is I contributed to the Mandy and Otis storyline on WWE. I'm going to look at your resume. I'm going to laugh at you and say, "Have a nice day." See, and, and Mike you guys were, um, Well, I gotta yes. call you out. Can you stop that, please? I'm sorry. You're, I'm just, you're very distracting. I hear you. And, buddy. And I'm trying to, to. I'm trying to do a show here. Well, I'm get. I'm. I'm. What's gotten me going, Angelo? And I'll tell you. You're talking about these storylines, as you know. I had a job interview for the WWE. Talk about that. That's an interesting story. Well, I initially applied in 2002, and what I'm trying to find here in this space is the actual storyline that I sent in 2002, and I think it's right over here, so let me just grab this while I talk. It took me from 2002 to 2007, five years, to even get into the door of the WWE Titan Tower, and on December 13th, 2007, I had a job interview for the WWE. And I wrote a storyline that was a nine-month storyline that could be used year in and year out for WWE. I'm, I'm sorry. I just want to point out humorous side visual. It actually looks like you're digging through a trash can. It's not yeah. a trash can. Not this the is, best, this best is, place this to is pull a, a writing bin. Of. This is a bin of, of writing. Oh, okay. a writing bin. Gotcha. Sorry. This is, I was, I was about like to make a, trash a joke can. That, that if you're, you're pulling your script out of a trash can, maybe that's why your story doesn't end with you getting hired. Well, no, he, ha- he has a trash can story, too, with John Cena. He'll tell you that. In a minute. Well, yeah, I'll tell you that. But the point is, I put my best foot forward into writing 80, 80 pages of gold for this company that could be used year in and year out, tweaked. Uh, modified year in and year out for this company. Okay. Well, and Mikey, th- give me the gist of it because that that can is like not the visual I want. Oh, right I'm now. sorry. Well, the point of it is, ever since I was not hired by the WWE, yeah, in 2007, watching the entertainment that they've put on the air ever since, yeah, has been frustrating for me because I know that my storyline is better. So wander around on drink. Um, <laughs> it's still early. Uh, but it, it's just when you talked about why did it take nine people to write the Mandy and Otis storyline? I could write better than all of those nine people together. Let me tell you something. If you took all of the people on Twitter alone who bitched and complained about how bad the writing is and hired them, you'd get a better writing staff. Yep. Okay. See, and that's to go off of what I was talking about. Again, going back to the the old the old days, is that the path, the career of wrestling was. And correct me if I'm wrong, because this was a little before my time. Is you'd become a wrestler, you'd want to get over, you'd want to make money, and eventually you'd either buy your own territory or you'd want to get job as a booker somewhere. 
and that's, that's exactly right. That's where the career went. Now the people that's that where the driving, money was, Dan. That's where exactly, the money was. Exactly, and, and you could always tell the love, the heart. You had these lifelong career wrestling wrestlers and people who had been in the business for 30 40 50 years plus now a bulk of your product is being produced by people who could care less about the wrestling business and it shows well we just had on i'm sorry go ahead no i was just going to tie into what you were saying we just had on the show karen mcdaniel daniel's wife karen said that the most money wahoo made was as a booker Mm mm-hmm there's a reason for that. The booker received the percentage of everybody he booked. See, and that's and that's where the money was. Well, and that's the thing is there was a driving force. If a booker could put together a good card and good matches, the better the card, the better the product, the better the better the draw, the more money the booker made. If exactly. a writer writes a crap script, WWE has a contract with Fox. They get $200 million a year for SmackDown, whether it's good or not. You know, this this last episode with the Triple H 25th anniversary celebration, which was some of the worst crap I've ever seen in years of wrestling. Guess what? Garbage. Those writers, those people, they get paid, they get the same paycheck, whether it's garbage or whether it's a good product, because yeah. the motivation to put a good product to, out there is also. Garbage. Yeah, that was a Triple H uh, kiss ass, you know, I uh, mean, but that's the thing. That's though, it, wasn't, was. it wasn't just a, a, a bunch of guys, you know patting each other on the ass you just spent 20 minutes i mean making fun of and burying the best one of the better characters you've put together in the last 25 years here's a montage of all the times he's lost i left that going you know what they're right now that i think about it triple h did lose a lot of wrestlemania he did lose a lot at SummerSlam. he was always burying the right talent the the, the better talent and my my opinion of triple h lowered i don't know if that was the objective but i i turned off smackdown going my opinion of Triple H is now worse than it was a half hour ago. Well, they, I, achieved their, they achieved their goal. Go ahead, Murph. I, I want to say something to that. Uh, Triple H, yeah, he lost a lot of matches. You know, and he was he was booking and stuff like that. There was one other, and he learned that from one person, Dusty Rhodes. When Dusty Rhodes was booking, and he would book himself one, and he would be on the show, how many times did you see him in his career Really win? How many very times did really win the big show and the right? Very rarely. Triple H, a lot of losses at WrestleMania, a lot of that. Same thing with Dusty Rhodes. Well, I, I something I took away from the Triple H segment that I I don't know if it was intentional or not was the montage of his matches at WrestleMania. Steiner and and this wasn't just WrestleMania, but Steiner, Nash, Booker T, and Sting. The only people he consistently went over were the WCW guys. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was a reason for that. That was a fuck you to WCW yeah. from Vince. Yeah, yeah. Vince couldn't let that that rivalry go. Okay. Next topic, and this is going to be our last topic, and then uh, then I'll say a few things. Uh, what have we learned, starting with Mike Messi, and we'll go around. We'll start with Mike, then Murphy, and then Dan. What have we learned from the empty arena era? There's improvements to be made. There's there's improvements to be made, but there is talent there. And the, the Drew McIntyres, the Chris Jericho's, um, the Alexa Blisses, you know, there are people there in the wrestling industry now between AEW, WWE, NXT, 
there's talent there. They just need to be um, used to their best abilities and not micromanaged. And the McMahons finally need to take a back seat. One thing we didn't get to Angelo is that there's rumors that the WWE might be selling. A week from now, we might have a totally different wrestling landscape than we do well, tonight. We're not. We're not going to to broach that subject. Of course, quite frankly, I'm not interested in it. <laughs> I, I could care two shits. Answer. I I could care less if they sold. If they didn't, it doesn't matter to me. Might be it a fresh start. It 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 doesn't matter. The the obstacles they would have to overcome are entirely too high entirely too high the new ownership if there were to be one you mean yeah it, it, yeah, it was too much too much to overcome we we can go down that rabbit hole but i'm not going to do it on this show no, i'll been... save it for another show okay. if and when that happens i i may broach the subject but not tonight very good what what have we learned from the empty arena mike murphy uh well that's hard to say, Angelo, because Take it, a guess. it all goes to, I mean, it, it, it was forced to be done. It wasn't like they decided, like they chose to do it. Well, um, that's true. But given the fact that it is what it is, what, what lessons, uh, if any, uh, can we learn from it? Can we, can we glean anything? bad as admittedly we all believe it is at least and that and i mean this literally at least at the very least we still have some kind of wrestling show now what kind of quality it is is up for debate and conjecture but if we've learned anything what is it uh like I said, Angela, I really don't have an opinion on it because I don't really watch it. I'll catch like the first 10, 15 minutes of it, or I'll That's catch it right there. Flipping through channels. That that no, you you just answered it right there. You don't watch it. That's what we've learned from it. Nobody cares is the point I'm trying to make. Right. Nobody cares to see empty arena matches. How they're staying on television, how all of them are staying on television is beyond me, other than the fact that Vince McMahon and Tony Khan, uh, and to some extent Ring of Honor, they have financial backing with deep pockets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Dan, what have we learned? Uh, Basically, money talks and bullshit walks. Yeah. Yeah, to some degree, you're right. I think the biggest takeaway from the empty arena era is that wrestling still sells in the sense that if you look at the ratings, if you look at the, the hits on YouTube and you look at what's hat, what the discussions are, if they put forward a good quality wrestling match, be it a Drew McIntyre, be it a Chris Jericho, uh, Cody, Cody, Sean Spears from a couple weeks ago, if you put on a good match, that is entertaining. It doesn't matter if there is no one in the crowd, 10 people in the crowd, or 100,000 people in the crowd. That is what fans want to see. When you have these empty arena matches, you, you are forced to put on good matches. Now, sometimes they don't, but the, w- hopefully somebody is going to look at the numbers and go, 
We don't need a three-hour Raw to be two hours of backstage segments with where the wrestling almost seems like an inconvenience to the story. You have to put on a wrestling show, and that is, if you look at AEW versus WWE, that is what AEW is doing better right now. They are actually putting on wrestling, and the numbers are showing it because they are whooping NXT in the ratings right now. What, what, Thank what, you. Go what ahead, I say was uh, one week, uh, about a week or two ago, I was catching the first 15 minutes of Raw, and Drew McIntyre was out and was cutting his promo. And then uh, this other guy and his valet and another guy come out with a, a Adridin or Artichoke or whatever the hell his name is. Zelina, Zelina Vega and uh, Andrade. Andrade. Right, whatever. <laughs> he, he comes out and Jesus, he, oh, makes, Murphy, uh, he makes a comment. And Drew McIntyre said the best comeback. And not only was it a comeback, but it was also kind of like a a backhanded shot at the empty arena thing. Guy made Andrade or whatever makes his uh, comment. And Drew McIntyre goes, and the crowd goes mild. Exactly. Backhanded. Uh, it was like a backhanded shot. To like, why the hell are we doing these empty arena matches? This is stupid. Exactly. And, I, and he, he actually, just on that comment, he actually earned some of my respect. <laughs> you know? Well, look, but, you know, if, if nothing else, it's truth in advertising. Yeah, You're right. Exactly. Well, let's talk about uh, some of our upcoming guests because I want to I want to get your guys' opinion on this. We've got uh, a big week coming up. Actually, we've got a couple of big weeks coming up. Um, this Tuesday, the uh, one of the stalwarts, one of the mainstays in WCW in the Crockett territory, Magnum TA is going to be here Tuesday. Dan, what do you know about Magnum? You're a young guy. I, I remember Magnum being the reason that when I would watch wrestling, that half the crowd was women. Yeah. He, he was yeah. a big put. Even as a kid, I realized you had your, your Terry Taylor, you had Magnum TA, you had the Rock and Roll Express, you had the good looking, good looking heroes. And, and, yeah. Um, I remember, I mean, I, I, I only remember him from, uh, the, the, the Carolina, like that, that era. And then obviously yeah. WCW, because he was, he was kind of winding down towards the, the beginning of my time with wrestling. So I only watched him on the tapes, right. but I mean, pure talent start to finish. Mike Messier. When I think of Magnum, memories of Magnum. Um, I think of the angle with Mr. Wrestling two in mid South wrestling, the protege okay. mentor feud. I sure. think of coming into the Carolinas and winning matches in nine seconds with the belly to belly of suplex. Uh, mm -hmm. eventually defeating Wahoo McDaniel in a cage match for the U.S. title. Yeah. Uh, the summer of 85, where he feuded with Tully Blanchard for that U.S. title, resulting in the Starcade I Quit match. And mm -hmm. probably most significantly, the, the best of seven, uh, I, you know, seven series with Nikita Koloff, Bob Geigel, the James Gang. For a guy that only had the national spotlight for no more than three years, Magnum TA made an impression that people are still talking about. Mike Murphy. Magnum TA. What can you, what can you not say about Magnum TA? Uh, like Mike Messier said, uh, 
you know, the I Quit match with uh, Tully Blanchard, which I happened to see at the Philadelphia Civic Center. Um, yeah. Wahoo McDaniels, a match with Wahoo McDaniels. Um, just, I, I mean, he was, he was just, you know, again, the kind of biker image, uh, regular guy, blue collar type guy, like, Hey, I'm a wrestler. This is what I do to put food on the table. And, you know, you get in the ring with me, I'm going to kick your ass. And, you know, in a, in a sense with the eight second matches, he was almost like the Goldberg of the 80s in a way. I'm glad you made that comparison, Mike, because the, a lot of his matches didn't go but maybe two or three minutes. Right. He yeah, he, he, defi- he was definitely super over. Um, they were actually going to put the, the title around it. They were grooming him to be world champion when he had his accident. Um, I talked to Magnum on the phone last week. And uh, he's looking forward. And I asked him, uh, is there anything that's off limits? Can we talk about? He goes, yeah, we can talk about the accident if you want. We can talk about anything you want. So Magnum is being very generous. He's going to give us as much time as we want. That's awesome. Uh, And that show is going to be, of course, you, Dan, and uh, Mike Messier. Looking forward to it. You'll be with me, the the three of us. (laughs) But no, you won't be with us, Mike, because you're going to be doing Murphy's Law. (laughs) <laughs> you got you got a show that week um, Wednesday night We've got Evan Ginsberg and Bill Pierce Because Evan Ginsberg, of course Is the associate producer of The Wrestler Starring Mickey Rourke mm-hmm. He's also the associate producer of The greatest wrestling documentary ever Called 350 Days He'll be with us uh, Mike Messier, I know you're particularly interested in that one well, I've, I've spent time with Evan, both in New York and Connecticut. And yep. so uh, Evan's a great guy. He's a true historian. He's great friends, I believe, with Nikita, uh, who was a previous Wrestling with the Future podcast guest. Oh, yeah, and, one of the family. Yeah, so Evan Evan's a, a great historian, a great conversationalist, and uh, he's really into film and very successful. So it would be great to have him on the show. And what do you know about Bill Pierce, who used to wrestle as Chris Michaels. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was he enhancement talent for WWF in the sure early was. 90s? Okay, so I've definitely seen him wrestle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about Chris, Chris, but I'm looking forward to finding out. Yeah, he was there for a cup of coffee. Um, but while he was there, he was tag-teamed with uh, Tony Gurria and uh, Tito Santana. Nice. And we'll talk about uh, his career. Now, big one, Thursday, Leapin' Lanny, the genius, Leapin' Lanny Poffo, will be here. Uh, that's going to be you and I, Dan, and we'll be joined that night by a special guest, uh, Daredevil Dave Dahl, will be with us. He's a, an independent, and Mike Murphy knows who he is, mm-hmm. and uh, he'll be with us. What, uh, tell me, Dan, what do you know about Lanny Poffo? Because, again, oh. you're the young kid here. Hey, I, I'm I'm at the age where I remember I remember him vividly. He was he was the genius uh, on t- television um, at that time. But I remember he's I would say, I mean, I know I, I love using the Mount Rushmore analogy, but he's definitely on the Mount Rushmore of talkers as far as promos. 
Um, he, I did meet him at a convention a few years ago, and he was easily one of the nicest. Like you could tell, there was a genuine appreciation for his fans. Like a lot yeah. of wrestlers, kind of give you the you know sign next, sign next. He was talking to people. He really yeah. cared. You could tell he's a good. He's a, there was a good person there too. Oh yeah, great guy. I actually spoke to Lanny yesterday on the phone. It's awesome. Uh, great guy. He said nothing is off limits. Um, we can talk about anything. We're going to have him for about an hour or so. Okay. Uh, he's going to give us about an hour, hour and 20 minutes. And, uh, like I said, again, uh, nothing is off limit, but I do want to keep it just to Lanny. Of course. I don't yeah. Want, you know, he's talked you, about you Macho really Man cool so point. much. Yeah, you when you mentioned the, the Macho Man Elizabeth side, that's kind of been beaten to death with I'm sure some of his interviews. Yeah, it to his, it really, there's it plenty really there's plenty of his career to talk about. He's got more oh, than God, enough of sure. stories. Absolutely. And then we're on May twelfth for his first of two appearances with us. Uh we're gonna have a, a gentleman that Armageddon and I actually met. Very nice guy, flying Brian Pillman Jr. Yes, yes, and and I, I'll tell you what, amazing wrestler, amazing up-and-comer. Yep. Uh, if you ever get the chance to see him, watch him. It's, he's got his own thing, but it's almost like uh, like watching his dad. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, he, Brian Pillman Jr. wrestled several times for VCW, which is the local ter- uh, I keep territory, the local indie promotion here. And I've seen him. I've had the pleasure of seeing him live. He's an amazing talent. Yeah, he yeah. really is. Mike and I actually met him uh, and got to talk to him for about 15, 20 minutes. Great guy. You said that's on the 12th? He's going to be with us on the 12th and the 26th. Okay. Now, um, we got a special show on the 13th from Dark Side of the Ring. We're okay. going to have Brandon Savage with us. And Randy Hogan. They are uh, two guys that you've seen in Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, you know the vignettes that they show? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Brandon Savage played Randy Savage in the in the Macho Man Savage episode. Nice. And Randy Hogan played Hulk Hogan in the, um, in the episode they just did with uh, Dino Bravo, as a matter of fact. Okay. Um, and that's going to be on the 13th on the 14th, you and I, Dan, are going to introduce ourselves to the owner of the monster factory, Danny cage. We're going to talk about what it's like to run a wrestling school. Okay. Very well. Yeah. And you went to the monster factory. I trained at the monster factory when Larry owned it. Given Larry Sharp. Given the uh, push for a lot of these backyard wrestlers that are self self taught, um, uh, I, I look forward to having a conversation with a real wrestling instructor. Absolutely, and uh, we're going to be talking to Danny on the fourteenth. On the nineteenth, we're going to spend some time with a wrestling legend, a guy that's been around for forty five years in the business. His name is Doc Diamond, and if you live in the if you live in the uh, the Northeast, you know who Doc Diamond is. He was a, a manager, a wrestler. He owned a promotion, Devastation University. And uh, 
If you don't know about Doc Diamond, I encourage you to look up Doc Diamond. Google him. He's a fascinating. He's a character. Mm. He's what you call an old school character. That's kind. And that's going to be Doc. Yeah. Now, on the 21st, all four of us gentlemen, and I use that term loosely in some cases, Murphy. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you start with me. (laughs) We're going to have a conversation about, we're going to take a deep dive conversation into the life and death of Dino Bravo. Going to talk about Dino, going to get into some uh, of the controversy surrounding his career. And then on the 26th, to fill out the month, we're going to have Brian Pillman Jr. again. Excellent. So that's what we've got. Now, just give you a little sneak peek at June. We've got a really interesting month coming up in June. We have a, uh, a gentleman from Devotion Wrestling in Utah is going to join us. That, that's an organization that Vince Russo has done quite a bit of work with. And this gentleman's name is Mike Schroeder. And he's going to talk to us about this organization. Some people say it's a Christian wrestling organization. Some people say not so fast. Mm. So we're going to talk to Mike Schroeder and find out what the deal is. Now, uh, we got on the week of June 9th and June 11th, we've got two episodes that week, both with, Sam Houston from the NWA and WCW, also WWF. He is the for my cameo here. Oh no, the 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 cat's making a cameo appearance. The catio, and uh, of course Sam Houston, if you don't know, is the brother of Jake the Snake Roberts. If you don't know that, you do now. He's the ex-husband of Baby Doll, right? Yes, he's the ex-husband of Baby Doll. And I may have a surprise for Zan. His, his, uh, they're, um, I'm trying to remember her name. They're sisters in wrestling too, correct? Rock and Robin? Rock and Robin. Yes, thank you. Robin Smith. Yep. Pardon me, folks, while I get a drink. Um, now we've got a non-wrestling show. We have another non-wrestling show coming up. On June 23rd, it's going to be a very interesting show called... All about Hollywood. And we're going to have the owner of Hollywood Cars with us. And J.J. McGuire will be joining us for a non-wrestling show. Because uh, J.J., in addition to writing all that great theme music for WWE and WCW. And albums for Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Hart and all that. Uh, J.J. is also a, an old Hollywood movie buff. And we're going to be uh, with J.J. McGuire and Tom Jaron. Tom is a uh, an antique, uh, an, a Hollywood antique collector and has access to some of the most amazing old school, old history television shows that you've ever seen. He's got um, the original Batmobile, the Bat Cycle. He, uh, his partner actually owns the original set to the Honeymooners. That's with awesome. Jackie Gleason. Nice. And why is Murphy getting up in the middle of my show? He's looking for my storyline that I submitted in 2002 to the WWE. <laughs> <laughs> Smart ass. Well, I have to take care of something. I said, excuse me. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Murphy. <laughs> oh, shit. 
And then um, on June 18th, the long-awaited return of Ladies' Night Out Part 2. All right. And we've got Judy Martin, Roxy Astor. We've got, um, if I can remember this woman's name, and I got I forgot her name already. I'm so sorry, lady. Um, but uh, Judy Martin, you remember from her battles with the fabulous Moolah? Glamour Girls. Mm-hmm. The Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Well, she was a and, tag team champion with Lilani Kai. Yeah, and, uh, and actually Lilani will be with us. Thank you very much. That was the person I was looking for. Wow, so that's Judy awesome. Judy Martin, Lilani Kai, and Roxy Astor was one of the original Glow Girls. And uh, we're going to talk about Glow and how that was perceived as wrestling. And if it was, we're going to talk about it. And that's got me through to June. We're not even going to touch anything past June right now because we've got a lot going on. It's a nice I, uh, schedule. I, I sound, sounds like I signed on just the right time. Yes, sir, you did. Oh, and we've got, I forgot the most important one. June 2nd, the boogeyman, Jimmy Valiant, will be back with us. So, Jimmy Boogie Woogie, handsome Jimmy Valiant. I love oh, Jimmy, man. my friend. Uh, we will have J.J. Dillon back, and Davey O'Hannon will be, will be back with us. We're also going to have returning with us Tony Villano from the International Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. I've got Scott Casey coming back. I've got Johnny Mantell. I've got Baby Doll coming back. So we've got a lot going on. We've got a lot going on, brother. So, and we've got uh, some, some, we're going to actually sh- uh, showcase I've got a show coming up. I haven't, well, surprise to you all now, uh, including our audience, but we've got a show coming up. We're going to feature some of the upstarts, some of the newcomers on the indie wrestling scene across the country. And I've got four guys coming on from different parts of the country nice. to talk about how indie wrestling varies from, from uh, for lack of a better word, from territory to territory. So, Dan, I think you'll be interested in that because one of the people we got is from VCW. Wonderful. I might be be a little biased there. Yeah. And George Pantis is coming on the show with us. He's actually coming on closer to July. Okay. That George will be on. If you don't know who George Pantis is, he is the historian for uh, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. He's the guy who owns all the footage of the Crockett territory. He owns all the footage and all the uh, all the photographs of the Crockett territory. If you've watched any of those clips on the network, George is the one behind the camera. Yep, George is always behind the camera. And he's going to talk about how he was allowed access to that camera. You know, after this show is over, I am going to leave <laughs> you guys out so bad. Um, so... Anybody's got any uh, guest suggestions? What would you guys like to see on the show? Well, I've, I've been trying to go ahead. Yeah, well, Dan goes first because he's the co-host. <laughs> well, I was I was probably going to steal your thunder there, but I know you had mentioned your connections to Vince Russo. I think that would be an amazing conversation. Mikey's trying to, to, to talk him into it, to be honest with you. You know, I think, I think to be honest with you, Vince Russo is, is just so busy with his own podcast. Yeah, he really is. I, I mm-hmm. think he, he's, he's got shies, a lot going on. He's got 
several of them, but um, I've been trying to get uh, two guys I've been in touch with is Austin Idol and Barry Horowitz. So if anyone knows them personally, put the good word in for us because I've been in touch with both of them. Yeah. And uh, they both express interest, but it hasn't been secured yet. But uh, I'll tell you who I would really like to have on the show if anybody um, listening has a, a contact for him, including any of you guys. I'd love to have Barry O. Barry Orton. He's such an interesting guy, Angelo, because we've seen how much success Randy Orton, his uncle is, Barry is Randy's uncle, from what I understand. Yeah, and he's a cowboy Bob Orton's brother. Mm -hmm. Right, but yet Barry O. had that whole thing of the Donahue show and all the allegations. we're going to talk about that, too. Right, so that's pretty loaded. That's loaded stuff. Yeah, I would love to have him on the show if anybody... Mikey, why don't you try to... um... Uh, since you're my kind of like, um, uh, I don't know how I want to say this. You're, you're my, my go-to booker, I suppose, if you want to, you know, my ad hoc booker, right? That's the word I was looking for my ad hoc booker. Why don't you reach out to, to Barry O and see if you can, uh, give it a shot. If I can find them, give it a shot. Um, Mike Murphy, who would you like to see on the show? Uh, well, basically, you pretty much brought up everybody I wanted to see on the show. <laughs> you know, you've got to have some idea of somebody you'd like to see. Anybody. Yeah, a lot of, well, a lot, of, a lot of the guys I'd like to see on the show, unfortunately, are dead. True. <laughs> that might be tough to book them. Yeah. Angelo, yeah, you know who... it's going to be hard to book them. <laughs> you know who I would suggest? Uh, a guy, uh, Jesse Ventura. Because Jesse Ventura. Well, I actually have a Jesse connection, so I'm. You know what? We might be able to do that. Because he, uh, he he's thinking of running, possibly oh, running for president. So my ex-wife used to make his glasses. Interesting. <laughs> that's awesome. that's, uh, that's a shoot. I was nice. I was actually just about to say that that'd be the that'd be the perfect place. Re- uh, Wrestling with the future, where Jesse Ventura can officially announce his candidacy for president. Wouldn't that be? Oh man, talk about an exclusive. Talk about getting us. <laughs> publicity holy shit i i did a video where i advocated for him to run because i think it would be a great uh great thing to see a third party come to be at this point in our history yeah you, well you know, i'll tell you, you yeah, talk, go ahead, Dan. oh i was gonna say you, you, we have a lot of a lot of the interviews end up going more to backstage stuff um i think i'm just maybe not him specifically, but someone like a, like a Kevin Sullivan, who's worked as a booker for so long, someone with the booking experience of the territory days. It's funny that you say that. It's funny that you say that because today, as a matter of fact, to just today, I got a contact information and he's agreed to do the show is Andrew Anderson. You know who Andrew Anderson is? Yes, I do. They I've heard call, that they name. Him, he, he might be too young for you, Dan. He, they called him the reinforcer. He was part of the Anderson family. Okay. Andrew Anderson, look him up. He's a very, very, very dear friend. Very tight with Kevin Sullivan. Very tight. Okay. And uh, he's also very tight with our dear friend, J.J. McGuire who we consider family. Um, I've got some exciting news to share with you guys off the air. Uh, but if you have nothing else for Mike Messier, 
MikeMessier.com. If his name was a website, it'd be MikeMessier.com. <laughs> Thanks, Angelo. See, I just plugged you twice, you prick. And sorry for the commotion, folks, but I got so I got so agitated thinking about those days of my pursuit of WWE. It's it's like a giant sword spot, Angelo, and it, it's something that one day you we'll think? explore it further. It's 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 a permanent stain on my my soul. I hear you, Mike. For Mike Armageddon Murphy, who you can find on Facebook at Mike Murphy, Michael Murphy, just look for the uh, naked biker chick <laughs> on the icon. Is that what? Uh, who's on your icon? I, I, can, I can barely hear you. Who's on your Facebook icon now? Is it still the naked biker chick? No. <laughs> you'll have you'll have to go and look. <laughs> just search Mike Murphy. <laughs> and Dan, the man, Sebastiano, give your uh, all your social, brother. Well, uh, I've been updating the YouTube page. You can find us there. And I now have a Twitter presence, the man underscore WWTF. That's Twitter. Beautiful. And by the way, you've been doing that. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I pro- told you privately. I gonna tell you publicly. You have been doing a hell of a job on the YouTube site and uh, an amazing job as co-host. And I think I made the right choice. Well, thank you. You know, we all we all miss Jeff the ref. We all love Jeff the ref, uh, and you can never replace Jeff the ref. But I think that you filled the, you stepped into his shoes and you filled them pretty good. Well, that means a lot. Thank you. And I and I I thank you, and I think uh, Jeff would be uh, very happy uh, with your with your presence here. And for us, you can find us on Facebook.com forward slash Wrestling with the Future. Find us at Wrestling Future Twitter. It's at Wrestling W R E S T L I N F U T U R E at Wrestling Future on Twitter. Uh, again, Facebook.com forward slash Wrestling with the Future. Search us on YouTube at Wrestling with the Future Podcast. You have to type in Wrestling with the Future Podcast to find us. Uh, and you will also be finding us on many more platforms. In the upcoming days, we want to welcome TuneIn Radio that just picked us up. We want to welcome PodBay FM that just picked us up. So we are on at least, they tell me, about 118 platforms right now across the, uh, across the world. They also tell us, and I say they, meaning the, uh, the people who we get our info from, they're telling us uh, that we're very big in Canada and in Great Britain. That's great. So we have a pretty big presence in Great Britain and in Canada. Great places. Yeah. So on behalf of Mike Messier, Mike Armageddon Murphy, Dan the Man Sebastiano, my esteemed co-host, I am Psychic Medium Angelo. Take care, everybody. Happy wrestling, and we'll see you next time.